Hey guys, and welcome back to the Natty scene. We are back for another episode with Lee, and we are going to be primarily discussing the judging of bodybuilding shows. And we're going to get into as much depth as we both feel necessary. We're going to go on probably with Lee, as always, about 500 tangents, but there'll be very positive tangents and tangents which you will all get a good amount of take homes from, I am sure. So, yeah, first of all, let's sort of go into what is judging in its, in its sense and how a bodybuilding show is judged in terms of breaking it up into the specific categories of judging. Um, and let's start with that. So sort of what is, what is judging itself? And when you break it down into a physique, what are we looking for in terms of just pure judging itself? Okay. Thanks for having me back on, AJ, by the way. Uh, happy to be here. I'm going to take my specs off again after a, after a quick double-hander. Um, we're never going to get away from that one, are we? But um, Right, so judging. Um, hmm. Obviously, to give a bit of background, I judged my first bodybuilding contest in 1996. Uh, so that's, that's a lot of years. That's, what, 25? Well, 25 years this year. My 25th year of actively judging bodybuilding contests. Um, some great history behind how I got into it and um, and how that all began and the, the journey I've had along the way. But I'll uh, I won't go off on a tangent straight away. I'll get to the question. So I mean, the judging of a bodybuilding contest it's more complex than ever now because there are different divisions, different disciplines, different different criteria you've got to learn. Um, I think simply the the best way to sort of encapsulate it and put it in perspective for most of the people that are listening is to talk about the discipline of bodybuilding. Um, because that's, that's the, the, the keystone discipline of the sport. Everything else has come from bodybuilding. Um, so I mean, it's a, it's a simple, it's a simple act of comparing people to one another against a, a set of criteria. And that's why I always say to people when they ask for, when they when they when they bring up the dreaded F word and ask for feedback, um, one of the first things I say to them is, you know, don't be driven by your placing in this contest. Your placing in this contest today, for example, to sort of paraphrase a conversation that may happen, is determined by and large by the people that you're on stage with. Uh, you could look exactly the same as you do today, come back and place higher or lower in a different lineup. You could go away, spend a year, two years, however long you want improving and come back and do equally as well as you've just done or place lower or place higher. There's no hard and fast to it. There is absolutely no hard and fast. It's, it's, it's all about comparing people to what they're on stage with at any, at any given time in any given event. Um, we talk about bodybuilding, obviously, you're looking at muscle development primarily first and foremost you're looking at muscle development if you don't carry enough muscle to look like a bodybuilder then you shouldn't expect to do well in the bodybuilding contest uh you're looking at and there's a big list of of, of buzzwords that people use and my least favorite one behind muscle size my least favorite thing that people talk about in bodybuilding is symmetry symmetry is is, is a heavily abused term in bodybuilding the dictionary definition of symmetry is equality on two sides of a plane. 
it's one side looking the same as the other side. That's what symmetry is. And people talk about having good symmetry or judging people based on symmetry or having a symmetry round. And if you're looking at that word symmetry, you should be looking at two sides of a plane. Front to back is not symmetry. Top to bottom is not symmetry. That's balance. That's a completely different thing. Is your front as good as your back? Are your legs as good as your top half? That's balance. That isn't symmetry. Okay. Mm. The, the other major issue, the other major burning issue I have with the misuse of that word, and, you know, slight side tangent now, anybody with a mouth can, can put themselves in a position where there's something in the bodybuilding world. You know yourself, there are a lot of cowboy coaches out there. There are a lot of cowboy show promoters out there. There are a lot of people who end up on judging panels just based on the fact they've won a bodybuilding contest, which, as we already know, isn't entirely dictated by how good you are. Um, it's dictated by who you're still on the stage with. And th th there are ways, you know, people are ending up on judging panels of bodybuilding shows without really knowing what they're talking about, and without really knowing the ins and outs of what a physique is. So one of the biggest bugbears I've got in that respect when people talk about symmetry is, you know, somebody having a nice narrow waist and wide shoulders great V taper. That's not symmetry. That's shape. That's a different word. So now we've got symmetry. We've got balance. We've got shape. Shape is mostly predetermined by genetics. And again, for those that have been watching the podcasts that I've been doing so far, genetics count. They count for a lot. You know, if I took up running tomorrow, I would never win the London marathon. I'm not built to be a marathon runner. Same with bodybuilding. So your shape is, is genetically predisposed to, to a, a majority of degree. There are little things you can do to try and tweak your shape a little bit. Uh, there are things that you can stay away from to stop your shape from getting worse. But for the most part, your shape is genetically predetermined. Um, so yeah, having a nice V taper and a nice narrow waist is not symmetry. It's shape. And then finally, you've got proportion. And this, again completely different to balance, completely different to symmetry, completely different to shape. Proportion is, you know, has this person who's in front of me, male or female, and we'll keep it to bodybuilding and we'll, we'll move on to other disciplines in a bit. You know, has this person got a nicely proportioned torso to legs to arms ratio? Or have they got short dumpy legs? Are their arms long and gangly? Is their torso really long? So that makes their lats insert really high. Are their legs really long? And that sort of kind of stopped them getting a great quad sweep. You know, that's proportion. That's proportion. That's all of the parts of the body kind of fitting together. And you can have proportion in, in terms of muscular development as well, which sort of crosses over with balance a little bit. So you've got a lot to look out for. You've got a lot to look out for, and you've got to have a really discerning eye to be able to see it all properly. Uh, it's not just about who's got the most lines in their backside. And, you know, you know yourself, you know, so, sometimes you can go some places and bodybuilding is a bit of a dieting contest. You know, it's all about condition. It's all about how many lines you've got in your, in your, in your tush. And, and, and it's not about that because there are guys out there in great condition who are missing vital body parts you know, we were talking about people, you know, very recently, you know, gets absolutely shredded, but has no back. You know, 
gets in absolutely unbelievable condition, but is a little bit wide in the waist, you know, and that's why conditioning for me, and we, we talked about this a lot recently, conditioning for me is not the be all and end all. Um, as long as a bodybuilder's condition is adequate, or any athlete in any discipline, as long as your conditioning is adequate to meet the criteria of that class, it doesn't have to be above and beyond that in my view. You don't have to have striated glutes. You know, if you get lean enough to the point where there's no big roll of fat around the, the bottom of your backside and, you know, the hamstrings stop here, the glutes start there, your trunks aren't digging in, there isn't loads of excess flesh, you're lean enough. You're lean enough. I'm, I'm fine with that. I can see your glute muscles. I don't need to see that they've got lines in. Everybody has lines in their muscles when you get your body fat level down low enough. Everybody has those cross striations and everybody has muscle fibers in their muscles. So I don't, I've never personally seen the need to show that you've got them. I prefer the development, the shape, the size of a muscle shown off in adequate condition. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot to throw in together. There's a lot to throw in together, uh, to, to have the eye to see, what you know to, to separate a, a a good physique from a not so good physique sure whilst we're on the topic of that kind of tangent that you went on with condition because i know that we've talked about this before and it's a topic uh -huh. i absolutely love because for myself obviously when i was competing in 2017 and i was dieting down i was thinking okay what is my what is my selling point? And at that point, maybe I wasn't as educated as I am now on bodybuilding. And I didn't know as much as I know now about balance uh, and about shape. So I was thinking, okay, my, well, my selling point as a junior will now be condition only because I've not got the size of some of the other guys that I knew were going to be competing that year. Do you think that it's quite often that people within natural bodybuilding that aren't genetically gifted when it comes to you know, the very few people that are mass monsters and just have a huge amount of muscle, that they think their only selling point to beat people with more muscle is then condition. And that's why we're seeing a lot of natural bodybuilders because there aren't a lot of huge natural guys or drug-free guys, sorry. Um, that's why we're seeing a lot of them chase solely condition and to the extent where a lot of the time, even with myself, arguably, and we've discussed this, where at one show you have better shape through having more muscle fullness and then you diet off more body fat and end up getting a bit leaner, but at the same time losing shape through losing muscle fullness. Um, so what is this balance that, that people should be looking to try and achieve and, and where do you think people should go in terms of that, their selling points? How do, how do you work out your selling point as a competitor? Uh, some good points. Good question. And uh, the first part of your, your question, because it's sort of long and sort of, you know, many boxes to tick question. The first part, yes, there are people out there that are getting hyper conditioned because they don't have anything else really to sell, um, especially over in the States. And uh, That's you know. what I was going to mention as well. I heard Cliff Wilson say on a podcast recently, he said, because he coaches both assisted and um, mm -hmm. naturals, and he said that condition is not as much rewarded in the assisted federations in the USA. And then condition is absolutely rewarded in, in the USA within the natural feds. 
And that's the second box I was going to tick on the question. Um, and I, I don't know Cliff. I've seen pictures of him and I know who he is. Uh, but to me, and I mean no disrespect by this at all, uh, because there are a number of other people that I could I could say the same thing for. Um, Cliff, um, uh, uh, you know, and other people are the epitome of bodybuilders who perhaps aren't genetically gifted uh, in terms of their shape and their structure and their propensity, their ability to put a lot of size on. So they're getting hyper hard, they're getting inside out shredded, and they're being rewarded for it. And that's a USP, and it becomes a USP as a coach then as well, because you know people believe that this guy can get really shredded, so he can get me really shredded too, he or she or or whatever. Um, I don't like that. I'm not a massive fan of that uh, because, again, and sort of spilling over into today's topic of judging, um, I believe that it is rewarded in some places, um, and it's a judging issue. It's an issue. The judges, the judges are there to, to, to say what they're going to reward. And I've read the judging criteria of, of a number of different sanctioning bodies. And I'm talking, you know, our own, the WMBF criteria, which is essentially transferred over to, to our association. Um, I've read the, you know, the, the PMB, the PMBA, the OCB, the DFAC. I've, you know, I know what their judging criteria are. And not a single one of those judging criteria says anywhere that condition is king. Not a single one of those judging criteria, when put on paper, read that highly conditioned bodybuilders will be rewarded over guys who've got great physiques, guys or girls who've got great physiques. Yet in some of those sanctioning bodies, that seems to be what happens. Um, some people get crucified when you look at reports of contests that are on websites or if you look at, you know, comments people are making in podcasts or, or whatever else. And we, I mean, we had a good discussion before this podcast was recording about how the podcast has become the modern day way for keyboard warriors to get the point across. And, you know, I've heard a horrendous amount of shit in the last week on podcasts, which I've started following since I've been filming these with you. Um, and for the most part, I wish I hadn't bothered because there's some absolute bollocks being spoken, but um, no tangents. Even though it's not written down anywhere in black and white, condition is is uh, is is to be rewarded primarily over other other aspects. It seems to be that it is, and people, like I say, just to you know, sort of pick up where we, where we left off there. People are getting crucified for not being bullet hard at every show. Oh, could be in better condition. Well. Yeah, if I took a potato peeler and removed my skin, then I could be in better condition. Would you like me to do that next time? Uh, you know, what, what do we expect to these people? And then there's sanctioning bodies and contest promoters. We're then complaining because people don't want to compete in the sport and support what we're, we're trying to convey. And, you know, I myself, I'm really critical of, of, of bodybuilders going away and saying, oh, I need a three-year off-season before I'm ready to compete again. You know, sorry. Well, I mean, we spoke about this on the condition thing, didn't we? Mm. Some people do because they've absolutely destroyed their bodies through excessive dieting. So some people need a year to get back to normal, and then they need a year to do some growing, and then they need a year to get back in shape and lose half the tissue they've just spent a year gaining. Um, but 
dear. That's a judging issue, though, isn't it? Because we're telling, we're, we're essentially, nobody's telling people that they've got to be peeled or, you know, I hear this, I hear something shot around on, on Instagram affair, but, you know, I'll, I'll go on Instagram. I have to, I post stuff on there and I, I have a browse on there when I'm bored. But I see people using phrases like true stage condition. There's 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 a, a a level of condition that you have to be at to get on stage. True, and it's absolute codswallop. True stage condition, bollocks. Um, you know, and and people are, are beating themselves up about it. And you know, again, another little side tangent here, and I'll keep it a very little side tangent because we could probably do an hour's podcast on that as well. A lot of people involved in bodybuilding have self esteem issues. A lot of people walk into a gym to lift a weight to get bigger, stronger, lose fat, whatever you know. That they do it because they want to change, and nobody wants to change if they're entirely happy with who they are. Let's be honest. You know, people do this because they want to change. They want to be different to, to what they are now. So that whether people want to hear this or not, there's a little bit of an underlying self-esteem issue there, and we as judges contest promoters, report writers, bloggers, podcasters are really kicking the shit out of those people's egos by telling them that they're fat when they've got a full set of abdominals, they've got separation in their thighs, they've got no droopy, wobbly bits, they've got no muffin tops, they don't have a sticking out belly. But we're using the phrase fat to describe people who are perfectly lean and athletic, who carry less body fat than the man who holds the world heavyweight boxing title who's an absolute physical specimen. He's an absolute machine. And I wouldn't call him fat. Um, and I just think this whole low body fat era is, um, it's gone too far. I mean, you know, I'm going into that, the conditioning rant that we had a while ago. I, I think it's gone too far. And I think the place that it's come from is, is the judges table. One of my beliefs behind this is that picking out visually stunning conditioning in terms of low body fat is low-hanging fruit. There are bodybuilding judges out there that don't know how to apply the criteria they're judging from. There are a lot of bodybuilding judges out there that don't really know the difference between symmetry, balance, shape, proportion, those things that I've just described. Um, and for those of you that don't, you're welcome, you now know. But... Um, it's easy. It's the easy way to pick a winner in a bodybuilding contest. I would just go for the guy who's really, really hard. You know, and, and, and it's wrong. It's absolutely wrong. It's entirely wrong. If you look back to late 80s and early 90s bodybuilding, and I did sort of mention this very briefly on, 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 a, on an earlier podcast, the guys that were best known for their conditioning back in those days and the freak factor behind their conditioning were getting into that condition because they didn't have physiques to match the guys who were beating them. But back in the 90s, we were sensible about it. Rich Gaspari didn't win the Mr. Olympia. You know, Lee Haney held him off without a single striation in his backside. You know, Renel Janvier, I think, came top 10 in the Olympia. Andreas Munzer was, you know, top 10 at best in the Olympia, placed higher in some other shows because... You look past that condition and you can see the flaws in people's physiques. And you should be looking past it and you should be looking at flaws in people's physiques. Um, 
you know, the, the person with the most strong points to their physique should win a contest. And this is, this is another bit of uh, that ties in with my first point about, you know, how do you judge a contest? The biggest rule for judging a bodybuilding contest is you've got to judge positively. Don't pick on weak points. Don't penalize thing, people for things about their physique. Reward the things that are right. And there's a big difference between the physique with the most strong points winning a contest and the physique with the least weak points winning the contest. They're often two very different physiques. And you should be rewarding strong points to a physique. And conditioning is one aspect of a physique. And, and, I, and I do think it's over-rewarded massively. Um, I think, what was the last part of your question in terms of how athletes should market and package themselves? What was that bit? Yeah, I think my last point was, I think more so focusing on the selling point aspect of things again. So again, like obviously even with myself, in when I last competed, I, I thought that my selling point was what was condition and it probably arguably isn't just that and it's a multitude of things um that ended up having me do well and do you think that it's maybe athletes because even when i get athletes obviously onto coaching rosters and they say they want to compete one of their first things is telling me how they want to look like this in terms of condition like they don't they don't really mention anything else apart from I want to get inside out peels um, mm. or they'll DM me a photo of my, my leg striations and say, I want this. Um, do you think part of the attraction of, I know this is another question again, but okay. So selling point, how do you work out that? But also do you think one of the attractions of, of bodybuilding in itself is getting into that shape? And that's why a lot of people end up looking like that. Um, I think what you should be aiming to present in terms of bodybuilding is you at your best. And if your best entails being in that condition, then so be it. If your best, like in your case in 2017, you'd have been better off a couple of percent down on condition, a couple of percent up on muscle fullness. You know, when you hit that point of diminishing returns where you're getting lean for the sake of being lean, and you're shedding tissue to get lean, you, you should probably be telling yourself at that point, no, I've, I've hit the sweet spot here. Yeah. I've, I've hit that sweet spot where, you know, we're taking these long off seasons, we're spending a lot of money on food and supplements and doing a lot of research into our training. And the aim of all of that, you know, you don't lift weights to get conditioned. You don't go into a calorie surplus for 18 months to get conditioned. You don't research ways to train hard and train better and be more productive with your resistance training, your weight training, in order to get conditioned for the most part. Um, so the, the big emphasis behind what we're all doing with the majority of our lives is to gain muscle size and improve our physiques. But then it all goes out the window in the last you know, three months before a contest. And we're happy to throw those gains with an S, not a Z. Uh, we're happy to throw those gains away happy to throw that progress away or sacrifice some of it just to get that little bit of extra condition um and i don't think it's right i don't think it's right i don't think it's productive and i don't think it really embodies the ethos of, of what we're trying to do it's not bodybuilding 
it's pretty simple. The name of the sport is bodybuilding. Um, I say the changes can come, but the changes can come from two places. Um, yes, the judges need to stop blindly rewarding it. For some judges, that means they're going to have to actually learn how to judge a physique properly, um, which might be hard for some of them. But, you know, it's not just about condition. It's not just about striations and lines in your backside or Christmas tree lower backs. It's, it's about having muscle there in the first place. Um, athletes can quite happily take a stand and say, yeah, if I had 100 entrants into a show and each and every one of them emailed me saying, by the way, I'm not going to push myself to get into that level of condition, wouldn't bother me. Wouldn't bother me one little bit. I'd celebrate that fact. I'd be very happy about it. Um, we'd sit and judge them based on what they presented to us. And quite frankly, they'd probably, they'd probably look better for it and then they probably wouldn't have so many ill effects from their contest prep, but they'd probably be back again to compete next year. So it'd be great for business in, you know, in, in so much as this is a business. I mean, obviously, speaking for my own association, the, the money that comes into it and the resources that come into it get pumped straight back out into the athletes. So, you know, I've got nothing, I've got nothing to lose or gain from any of this. That's, that's, a, that's a big point for all this. I'm, I'm happy to sit here and give my version of the truth because I've got nothing to lose or gain from it. Uh, it's not my living. I just want the sport to be the best it can be. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty simple, you know, be your best, give the judges what you give them, you know, everything's equal, everything's equal. If, if every single person in that lineup has got, and I know it's, I'm using this as an arbitrary sort of number or a benchmark figure, because I know it doesn't matter. And I know that it's not accurately recordable and or whatever, but every, if everybody in the lineup has got 3% body fat, everybody and we're to assume that they have an equal level of conditioning and detail the best physique still wins step that back a couple of percent and put everybody on stage at six percent body fat the best physique still wins everything being equal mm. it doesn't matter if everybody's in shape or everybody's not in shape you're only being judged against the people that you're on stage with um You'll always get that one person. I mean, I've made it quite clear this year that lines in your backside won't be rewarded over muscles. Um, I know for a fact we're still going to get people in absolutely ridiculous condition competing in our shows this year. Because there'll always be somebody that doesn't believe me and says, well, yeah, he says that, but I'm going to get shredded anyway. Well, great. And it's impressive. Um, It's impressive to look at. And... We, we admire how much hard work goes into doing it. Well, how much hard work we assume goes into doing it. And I think that's one of the reasons it gets rewarded. It's like the old adage of you'll see sort of jumping disciplines now to, say, figure, ladies' figure. You'll often see somebody who's got too much muscle and too much condition for that class placing high in ladies' figure. And... You might get a couple of judges say, well, yeah, I know, I know that competitor's not quite right for the class, but they worked really hard to look like that, and we had to reward it. And as bodybuilders, that's our mindset, isn't it? If, you know, hard work reaps reward. So if we saw something that we assume takes a lot of hard work, then we're going to automatically reward it, whether it's the, the entirely correct thing to do or not. I say assume 
because I know people who could get absolutely shredded with a click of a finger. They, you know, they it's they're working hard, but they're not working, they're not working themselves to the point of death to get in that condition. Whereas other people do have to, and it's all relative. So we assume that to get in that level of condition, that, uh, that it's pretty hard. I mean, we've all trained in gyms and seen guys and girls who are pretty much stage ripped all year round no matter what they do, no matter what they eat, no matter how hard they train. Again, genetics. Uh, I, think, I think I sort of bombarded you with enough to answer that question there, perhaps. No, that's great. I think that pretty much covers everything I wanted to cover on the, the point of condition. There are a few <laughs> questions, and there's one about condition that I, I definitely want to ask, but, but mm-hmm. we'll save that for later. We'll give the the listeners a little bit of a, a different source to, to taste for now. So um, I want to move on to, you said how part of the problem was the judges. So mm-hmm. let's go into how you and the UKDFBA select judges. How do judges become judges? What is the process? And what do you believe makes a good judge in order for this situation with, with sort of things like the condition element? to uh to start to diminish a little okay um and it kind of it will kind of feed into a little bit about what i i talked about at the beginning where how i got into judging myself and i i was pretty much brought into it through a very old school way i mean i went to a body the first time i ever judged a show i went to a bodybuilding contest i actually went there to compete Uh, i went there to compete in the teenage division 18 and under division whatever it was called then um and the show promoter had been let down by a couple of judges. And it was a fairly local show that drew people from that area. It was in Mansfield in Nottingham, Nottinghamshire. And it drew a lot of people from sort of South Yorkshire, Nottinghamshire, Derbyshire, that kind of way. And being from sort of further down into the West Midlands, we were pretty much the only people from around our way who had gone to the show. So the, the promoter sort of said, well, you guys are from out of town. You know, you're being partial. Is there anybody here that can judge a bodybuilding show? Is there anybody that could jump in and help me out? I've been let down by a couple of judges. And um, the guy that I was training with at the time offered to, but they were still on short. And I jumped to the, do the couple of classes, even though I was competing in the show. And that was, that was the first time I'd actually been at a judge's table and judged a bodybuilding contest. Um, And I pretty much saw it the way that all of the results ended up going and the crowd didn't throw a lot of stuff around when the results were announced. So I I just assumed I'd I'd done a reasonable job of it. And then I, um, I got involved with judging another contest. It was, uh, it was an association run contest, the the WPF, which is a very, very old association that, that, that isn't as prominent now as it was, uh, back then. um, and I got into the, the probationary judging process. So I went and judged a couple of contests, but my scores weren't used. They were just compared to other judges to see how I'd done and if I kind of fell, fell in with what, what the general consensus of the show was. And I was really, really lucky that I, I, I met a guy called Doug Evans. Now, Dougie, uh, there was, there was a, a news article about him a little while ago on, on a TV news channel, which ended up on YouTube and floating around a Facebook between the bodybuilding lot, because I think he's in his 90s now and he still goes to the gym and works out with weights a couple of times a week. 
and there was a news program on him. But Dougie Evans is he's from Wales, and and I hope. I mean, it's been a year or two since I've heard anything about it, so I hope he's well and he's still still about and still doing doing his thing. Dougie was an IFBB judge, the real IFBB, not this new stuff that I keep sort of having slide digs at. Um, and he judged the Olympia on a number of occasions. His credits, his name is actually in the credits of the old Olympia videos from the 90s, and he'd be on the judging panel. And he kind of mentored me when I first started judging and pretty much taught me all of the things that I'm talking about in this, this podcast today. You know, the differences between the, the nuances, the different aspects of a physique. And, and he taught me a very important thing. And obviously, as well as, sorry, my, my marks were sort of assessed up against other people's marks. But he sat me down and spoke to me about judging and sort of gave me a bit of an input, a bit of a lesson on judging. And... And, and he taught me a few things. And one of the wisest things he ever told me, and I still say it now, and I still do my absolute best to stay by these words, is you always judge a bodybuilding contest with your head and not with your heart. Which is a pretty good start. He also told me bodybuilding should be judged from the neck down. Which was a kind of harsher way of making the same point, you know, you, we start here and we work downwards. This this doesn't matter who you are, the face, the you know the name. It doesn't matter. And it's really funny because we had um, a contest last year. I think it was uh, the novice show last June, and there was a guy that I knew who'd entered it. He was a guy I get on really well with. He lives locally to me. I've seen him around quite a lot. Seen him in the gym. Nice guy. Nice guy. Friends with him on Facebook. You know, and he, and he entered the, the novice contest. And after the show, I, uh, I said to Amy, you know, so-and-so didn't, didn't turn up. Oh, I wonder why he didn't come and compete today. He didn't tell me he wasn't competing. And she said, well, he did. He competed in whatever class he competed in. So I didn't see him. And then I looked back at the photos, and there he was. Because I wasn't looking at anybody's faces. I didn't... Uh, yeah, they've got a number on their trunks. They've got a physique there. That's what I was focusing on. And I actually missed one of my own mates competing in one of my classes because I didn't look closely enough at his face to know it was him. I'd never actually seen him with his kit off before, so I didn't know what his physique looked like. And it's bizarre. If, if you're really doing your job properly, you don't have time for the rest of it. You don't have time to look at people and, and work out in your head who they are and, and stuff. You'll, you'll notice some people, but... but um. So that's, yeah, that, that was the sort of story is how I became a judge. And we, we run a system now, which is sort of very powered by a similar sort of ethos to that. And, and another very important lesson that I, I learned when I was judging with the WPF, because I did a few shows with them back in the sort of late 90s, early 2000s. Um, they had a judge on the panel once who'd sort of leapfrogged this probationary judging period and these lessons of wisdom from Dougie because they'd won the universe. So obviously they were going to be a fantastic judge, weren't they? Sadly not. One of the worst judges I've ever, you know, I've ever shared a table with in my life. They just didn't have the eye for it. So competitive pedigree means nothing. You know, the fact that you've won a lot of shows or you hold a status you're a world champion, you're a professional, you're a universe winner, is irrelevant. It doesn't mean that you've got a great eye for the sport. Um, again, like when I said to you in the first podcast, you know, people kind of underestimate my level of knowledge because I pay no attention to my own physique anymore. 
you know, to put it more politely than I put it in that podcast. You know, nobody could promote a boxing show like Don King could. They probably can't box. You know, and nobody could train a boxer like Emmanuel Stewart could, but he probably couldn't box as well as the guys that he was promoting and training. Yeah. You know, who's the best? I don't watch football, but who's the best football manager in in the country at the moment in the in the top league? You know, someone. So someone, you know, you hear I hear names on the TV of like you know managers of the big teams, but they'll stick a bit of pair of shorts and put them on a the field. They probably can't play. They probably, you know, they might have been able to at one point, but they probably can't anymore. And you know, in every sport, it's sort of generally ex- accepted that you don't need to have the ability to perform well in that sport to have a great brain for it and to have a great eye for it. But of course. You know, the biggest problem with bodybuilding is bodybuilders, as we've already said, or as, as I've already said. And, you know, people look at somebody who doesn't have a great physique and looks at somebody who doesn't have a great track record, and they might automatically assume that they don't know what they're talking about. When the reality of it is, some of the people who've won some of the biggest titles in the sport are actually people who don't know what they're talking about. Again, we've, we've had a, a conversation very recently about somebody who's won world titles who in my opinion has made a bit of an idiot of themselves by talking absolute nonsense on the internet recently um there'll be some people who are stupid enough to listen to that and believe it but you know it's so getting into judging isn't about having a competitive pedigree and you know if somebody's interested in judging a contest i'll do the same Uh, the way i like to do it is Give them our criteria, let them have a good read of it, make sure they understand it, make sure that they've studied photographs of various disciplines and understood various judging decisions that have happened. Let them come to a show, let them sit a probationary paper where we don't use their scores. I'll have a look at it afterwards. If they've done really well and the show's been competitive and the standard's been quite deep and it's been a tough show to judge, excuse me, then I'll leave it at that and we can keep on going uh, because there's no point in, you know, going over old ground and teaching people how to suck eggs. If somebody's not made decisions that are in keeping with the rest of the panel or things that stick out wildly from what the sort of prescribed criteria is, I'll sit and ask them. I'll, I'll ask them, um, you know, why did you make that decision? How, what part of the criteria were you applying when you made that decision? Um, and try and educate and try and coach people on, along a little bit and then they'll do another probationary paper and if they've ironed out the issues that they that, that appeared before then we'll, we'll move on and we'll move upwards but I've got I've got absolutely no qualms whatsoever in not inviting somebody back to judge a contest if they haven't done a good job yeah a lot rides on it a lot rides on it yeah and I, and I, I know you've done that as well because I've 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 seen you and heard you at contests talk about that. People judging and they're not coming back. So I know that that happens. Yeah. Um, so something else I wanted to cover, because I feel like this would actually be really, really helpful for a lot of people that are listening, is so we obviously have different disciplines when it comes to female categories. Yes. And some people are still a little bit confused as to which is which, where they land. 
with the male categories, it's kind of pretty simple to, to know where you fit. You're either going to be a physique guy, or you're going to be a bodybuilder, and that's pretty much set. Um, we can talk about that maybe a little bit if you feel there's some nuances that we might need to, to discuss. But hmm. mainly the within the female categories, um, could we run through the differences, the key differences, and where people fit? And, and maybe, again, a little bit more focused towards the difference between figure and fit body, because that's been a, a fairly new addition to the, the UK scene, at least. Sure. OK. Um, I'll quickly touch on the men's categories first, just to get it out of the way. OK. Um, obviously, bodybuilding is bodybuilding. We all know what bodybuilding is, and what it looks like. Um, physique, men's physique is, is a misnomer. It's not just about being smaller than the bodybuilder. It's not just about having less muscle than a bodybuilder. Yep. It's ju not just about having less condition than a bodybuilder. Um, it, it rests very, very heavily on shape. A men's physique competitor who does well at a high level should have a really aesthetically pleasing physique. Whether that guy doesn't carry a lot of muscle and isn't incredibly cut, or whether they're a little bit bigger and a little bit harder, but they just look like, you know, some sort of GQ model type of physique, but they're bigger and harder. You know, that, that's all okay. It's a little bit of a sliding scale, but the, the real overriding, overpowering sort of aspect of a men's physique competitor should be that they have that wonderful aesthetic shape, the narrow waist, the wide shoulders, the full pec line, you know, wide back, good proportions. Um, we say that the legs aren't judged, but they are because if I see a baggy pair of shorts flapping around on, on a skinny leg, that takes away the aesthetic appeal of that physique to me. I personally don't like long shorts. I wish the shorts were shorter so we could see the quads. Um, that's my personal view, but the rules are the rules. The shorts go down to the knee. Um, if a men's physique competitor has calves like toothpicks, again, looks ridiculous. You know, the, the lower body is part of the overall aesthetic appeal of the physique, even if you can't see through the shorts. Um, there are a lot of men's physique competitors who are mini bodybuilders who don't want to do bodybuilding because they don't like wearing the little pants or they don't want to do the routine to music or there's something about it they don't like. And those are the physiques that shouldn't be doing well. Um, you know, you, you need to have those those aesthetic qualities to be a men's physique competitor so that's that i'll move aside from that because people sometimes wonder how come a big guy won one show and then the smaller guy won another show and that guy was quite cut but he didn't place very high and is that guy too big you know there's no real hard and fast rule we're looking at aesthetic appeal in that class in whatever package it comes in okay um in the female divisions I actually drew, to help explain this to somebody, I, I, I drew a little graph, um, like a, little, a, a simple diagonal graph to explain how this works. And it's not, it's not a straight diagonal line up, to be honest with you. Um, you've got muscle size and you've got conditioning, you know, on, on, on the two axes of the graph. And at the lower level, and if, you, if you're scoring out of 10, you know, Zero is no muscle, no condition. Ten is as much muscle and condition as a person could have. You know, when, when you're up to about a four or a five, so you're looking at somebody who's got enough muscle to look like they train with weights, they look athletic, they look lean, 
they're not overly hard they're not cut you know they look like they look like an 800 meter runner they look like you know somebody somebody who's obviously into into sport you know that's where that's where your bikini class kind of starts that that's your bikini division you don't want bikini competitors to be too hard and muscular because it sort of bends the class away from what it should be a lot of aesthetic appeal to a physique by aesthetic appeal i don't just mean sticking your backside out of the judges because that's another pet peeve of mine you know it's not it's it's a class that's too often over sexualized and people are happy with it being so which is why it's not taken as seriously as it should be um you know with the bikini class another thing that really irritates me in some shows you watch some shows and they allow bikini competitors to wear their hair down their backs all the way to the you know the bottom of their backs and leave it there for their back pose yeah, that's how the judges and the IFBB judges, isn't it? Isn't it, it? For the Olympia, well, you weigh your hair. In, in the, well, in the MPC, yes. The MP, yeah, in, in the MPC, mate. Um, uh, I believe in the I, in the actual I, IFBB, they make you move your hair off your back. Okay. But yeah, they. But in in the Olympia and in the MPC sanctioned shows, they're letting you wear your hair down your back and cover up your back development. Uh, which to me either says that your back development isn't important or that your hair's more important than your back, or that they're just looking at your backside. So to, to me, it's that's not on. That's not right. I don't like that. Um, but digressing a little bit. That, so the bikini class, it should be about athleticism. It's not a beauty contest. It's not a beauty pageant. It's not something that should be over-sexualized. It's about athletic-looking bodies. You know, look like a swimmer, look like a runner look like a bikini athlete. That's the level of muscularity that you're looking at. Now, if you add muscle to a bikini competitor or get a bikini or, or somebody who's got that extra muscle but is structured a little bit differently, their wider shoulder, narrower waist, they've got more of a natural V taper to their, to their body, then you're going towards the realms of figure. Again, you don't want to be much harder than a bikini competitor because you don't, we don't want to see muscle detail, really. We don't want to see any cuts to the physique. Just nice and lean. A little bit of separation in the legs. A little bit of definition in the abdominals. You know, low-level separation and conditioning, really. Yeah. But bigger, bigger. More muscle, more taper, wider shoulders, more sort of bodybuilding only the quarter turns, but more bodybuilding structured quarter turns with a sort of tighter parameter on how you're allowed to stand. Then you've got figure. So they're bigger than a bikini competitor, but not necessarily harder. You take that figure competitor who's got that extra muscle and make her harder, then you've got fit body. So to me, the fit body division is a harder figure. Mm-hmm. So in other, in other sanctioned bodies, I think NABBA have done it for years. They've got trained figure and toned figure or yeah. trained figure and athletic figure, uh, whatever name they use. And other people have the same sort of, you know, parameters around it rather than different names. It's just different sort of levels of the same discipline. So that's, that's really what you're looking at in fit body in the WMBF. And other associations have it. They call it athletic they call it, um, I think the OCB call it physique um, to sort of be a parallel with men's physique. And it is a good parallel with men's physique. And I'll, I'll come on to that little comparison in a moment. 
but you've got to figure competitor who's a little bit harder, a little bit more cut, got some muscle detail, got deep separations pretty much everywhere, is in pretty good hard condition, then you've got a fit body competitor. That's the difference primarily between those classes. So like I say, it's not a, a straight diagonal that goes all the way up. You kind of get to here and you've got bikini. Then you go along a bit for figure. Now you're going up a bit. It's like a staggered climb. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you come to bodybuilding. You know, a bodybuilder should be as conditioned as a fit body competitor. A fit body competitor should be in bodybuilding level, hard condition. Okay. One, a good top level one. But then a bodybuilder could be bigger, more size. And that's where your comparison comes in. That's why some people might call it women's physique, because it's a bit like men's physique in that it's not as big and muscular as bodybuilding, but it's on the way to being that way. Mm. Um, that's, that's, that's the real difference between the female categories. You're kind of climbing in either size or condition each time you go, I like to say, up a category, because in, develop, in terms of development, you're going up category. You're going... You're going up a level of development. Um, having all four divisions for me in, in, in the UK, DFBA, um, having all four divisions for me is a new thing. It only happened last year, I believe. Was it last year the first time? It was last year, yeah. It was last year, wasn't it? Um, but when we first started, because the, the four divisions have always exi existed within the WMBF. Yeah. And when we first started as a sanctioning body, I, I just identified that there wasn't enough room for all those divisions. Bikini was a thing in the WNBF right back from the 90s. I think they actually invented it. Uh, it was called Miss Exercise. No, Miss Best Body. It was okay. called Miss Best Body back in the 90s. And that was the equivalent of Bikini. Figure was called Miss Exercise, but it was kind of like a fitness kind of thing where they do the splits and the cartwheels and in the routines and gymnastics stuff. Yeah. And then they build. Then they have bodybuilding. And fit body was actually uh, introduced by the WMBF probably twenty years ago, and the purpose of it was to suit the Europeans, because more European people were coming into the WMBF, and there were affiliates starting to come on. So that's why fit body was invented, because it was considered by the WMBF to be like European figure. Because one thing that we do in this country is the girls who were competing in figure at the time did get a little bit leaner and more muscular and they were hitting poses, mm. bodybuilding type poses, like compulsory poses. You go to the States and tell a figure competitor that we hit poses in figure in this country, they think we're crazy. They're like, what, you, you hit poses while you're wearing high-heeled shoes? Don't you fall over? <laughs> you know, it's just alien to them that they do that. And so, so figure was always just straight quarter turns. Fit body then added the extra poses in, and it was something that appealed to, to the Europeans that were coming over. So when we started as a sanctioning body, I kind of had to pick. Bodybuilding was always going to be a thing with us. I've always believed in women's bodybuilding, and I've always promoted it. Um, and we had another division, and it was either you know there was no bikini, there was no there was no market for it in the country at the time. So it was either do I take the figure or do I take this fit body thing that we've got. And we took fit body because it suited what other female athletes were doing in other shows with the poses and, and the routines and stuff. And then after a while, people got a bit disillusioned because you had to be quite hard and muscular to win or to get to pro level. 
and a lot of the girls were finding that they weren't. So our numbers dropped really badly. Well, not badly, but quite significantly. Bad's not the word that I use for it, but yeah, it significantly dropped because people thought that our figure criteria was too muscular. So we switched to figure and everybody seemed to enjoy that. But then there were girls who then said, but we want to hit poses. And then there were other occasions when people would be in good condition. And we did fall into that trap of rewarding people that were probably too muscular and conditioned for figure because, well, we can't place them last. Look at how hard they've worked. So it just became untenable in the end. It was, it was an unmanageable situation. We had to have all four classes. And, and that's why we introduced them last year. So we had been from fit body to figure, then back to putting fit body in with figure. Bikini's been introduced on the way because of how popular it's become and how many people want to do it. So we've catered to that market. Um, and that's, that's why we put the fourth class in last year. I, I, think, I think it was received very well. I think people get it now. People understand it now. Yeah, for sure. I agree. I think it took, took a few shows and a few people being switched around that were that needed to prove which which class they fitted into and then the Mm -hmm. differences started to arise so obviously i was at every show last year and it was uh it only took me a two or three shows and i was like okay this now makes sense so yeah i think for, for for people that are wanting to compete all you need to do is look back through the the show pictures and uh you'll see the difference is pretty pretty clear over the course of the year especially at the finals yeah. when you've got the, the higher caliber competitors all together yeah. the differences were, were were pretty clear um yeah i mean the, the more muscular competitors will do better in fit body that's yeah. that's without a, shadow of a doubt yeah sure so we're getting almost to an hour of discussion with just between us so we've got some pretty good questions to be honest on this topic so oh, good. um <laughs> I wanted to, to cover a few of them. A few of them could be could be a podcast in themselves, but um, we'll just uh, we'll just take as many of them as we can and give some people some answers. So, uh, first one's from from Caitlin, who's a, a young figure competitor. Um, she asks if the judges are fifty fifty. If there's a fifty fifty decision uh, between first and second, uh, how does the decision come about as to who wins? Okay. Is that Caitlin Hill? It is Caitlin Hill, yes. Is it Caitlin Hill? Incredible, incredible athlete. I've seen some pictures of her on Instagram. Hello, Caitlin, if you're listening. Um, incredible athlete, huge, huge potential. She's going to be a big star if she sticks to this, isn't she? Agreed, agreed. Yeah. Yeah, the, the question is, I mean, you will get 50-50, sort of, you will get split panels. But obviously, there's always an odd number of judges on the panel, so you can't get a 50-50. Um, it's quite often that we get a three two split when there's a five person panel or we get a four three split when there's the seven person panel depending on the size of the show um there are times when of course one of the judges will outlie a little bit and not have one of those two people first or second and you know have somebody else in first and second place perhaps which means you will get a tie in scores uh on those occasions, see, there have always traditionally been two ways to, to split a tie in bodybuilding. Uh, we have an odd number of scores because the highest and the lowest score always get deleted so that any outlying scores or any how we're only human, we'll make mistakes. So if somebody's like made a bit of a, 
bit of a faux pas or a bit of a bit of an error with 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 judging the show and they've got somebody wildly placed wrong then that score will generally be deleted and you're left with three average scores okay. if we do for some reason get a tie-in points at the end of the judges being totaled up then we don't add back in the high and the low scores because they were thrown away because they were inaccurate in the first place so we, we don't allow those scores back in we go with the head judges score um there are Three or four people amongst the 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 the, the MPA, MPA sorry, back here I'm talking talking 15 years in the past now. UK the FBA officials who I would have sitting as a head judge at any one contest. Um, they're people that I I consider to be all of our judges are good, but they're the best. And and whoever is in the chair as the head judge that one day it's usually mark oaks it's usually oaks he he is our head judge um if mark can't make it to a contest i might take the head judge's chair uh if if i'm not there mark hesketh might take the head judge's chair you know those three guys in particular are, are very very good judges and people that i would trust to sort of sway any decision the way they saw it um and, and for it to be you know a reasonable decision so yeah, that, that's the way we do that. Second question, and a change of location because my Wi-Fi is being absolute bitch. Sorry for the language, guys. For any young listeners, um, so it's about bikini class, and it's from Jack. And essentially, we've already kind of covered it in previous segment about the separation between the classes, but it's a question as to whether our criteria. He believes it's slightly different to the other federations criteria and it's whether it's going to match in the future their criteria he thinks that the other federations are rewarding condition more highly in the bikini class and we don't um and i think there was you know there's been specific competitors that have turned up rock hard and bikini and yes they they do look like they stand out but are they bikini and will they ever be bikini what's your opinion okay um when when jack says this jack piad no it's not jack piad uh so i'm sure he won't mind he is the 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 boyfriend of the girl called jess who turned up really really hard at the final show okay last season she was yeah incredible condition incredible um, condition he's just he's just wondering about the the judging sort of criteria and whether we're going to turn turn anything or change anything in the future Okay, so when we're talking about other other federations, we're talking about non-tested federations, aren't we? We're talking about open shows where... PCA, two bros, yeah. Sure, okay. Um, the, the answer to that is fairly simple. Um, and I had this discussion, I'm going to throw it over to sort of like a, a parallel conversation I had because I don't want it to become about Jess or about Jack or about, about, um, about anybody specific, but a parallel conversation I had with a men's physique competitor few years ago, I had a men's physique competitor, very big, very muscular, very bodybuilding-esque, and they didn't place in a, in, a, in, a, in a show. And they said to me, well, why didn't they place? And I said, well, you were too big and you were too hard for physique. It was a simple, simple uh, sort of answer. And they said, well, oh, I can't remember the name of the guy they used at the time. It was whoever had won the physique Olympia that year. Um Jeremy Buendia. Okay, yeah, sure. Uh, well, Jeremy Buendia is like twice my size and ripped, and he's physique. I said, well, yeah, but, you know, you don't take a Formula 1 car to a go-kart track. 
beer and race with that piece of equipment instead of this one. Yeah, you don't go clay pigeon shooting with a with a belt fed machine gun. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's still shooting, but it's a different kind of shooting. Um, everything has to be done on a sliding scale. And in terms of the men's divisions, and I'm keeping this to the men's to stop it being personal against the athlete who's who's asked the question. Um, a bodybuilder is a bodybuilder, and a step down from that, in general, a step down from that in terms of size and muscularity is physique. Um, there are people who compete and, and, and when you go into a, a non-tested show, if you go to an NPC show, if you go into a NAB or an IFBB show or WABA, whatever, if people are, you know, open to using performance enhancing drugs, if they wish to, not saying they all do. And, I'm, and I know there are a lot of people who are free of performance enhancing drugs who do compete in those shows. So I'm not labeling everybody, but when you're in a show where performance enhancing drug use is the norm, then the standards of muscularity and conditioning are going to be a lot higher. People are going to be bigger. People are going to be harder. Likewise, in those shows, um, and yeah, you know, the, I, I'm being, I'm being very, very. I'm, I'm, I'm trying my best to be diplomatic and not bring it into the, the person who who the query relates to. But I'm going, I'm going to have to because. It's the best way to do it. If if that athlete, if that lady who was an incredible athlete, didn't who didn't fit the bikini criteria for our contest because she was absolutely shredded, um, if that athlete were to enter the wrong class in a non-tested show, likewise they place they place low. Yeah. Um, you know, if if she entered a figure division, she might be told that she's not big enough if she entered bodybuilding she'd probably definitely be told she's not big enough mm. whereas in our contest in all honesty she was incredibly impressive but probably would have won the fit body division if she'd have done it yeah that's why i thought too and then like imposing like a fit body competitor um i remember her being quite tall and fairly lean and long-limbed and, and with a good sort of athletic structure um but just too muscular and too hard for bikini it wasn't just about condition she carried a lot of muscle as well. Yeah. It just wasn't bikini for us. And the problem is if we upped the level of muscularity and conditioning that we say is permissible in the bikini class, then we're closing that gap between what's the least muscular of all of our classes and the most muscular. There has to be that gap left all the time for those divisions to, to, to matter, to mean anything. Um, I'll throw up a sort of another comparison here. A lot of people have asked me, and I'm, I'm sorry if I'm about to blow another listener's question out of the water, but, uh, and I don't know if I am, by the way. A lot of people ask me, are you ever going to do classic physique? The answer is no, we don't need to. Because the whole point of classic physique is for guys that can't be 300-pound mass monsters. Well, we don't have any of those. This is drug-tested bodybuilding. We don't have 300-pound mass monsters with sticky-out bellies and wobbly little legs. You know, we, we don't have those. This is drug-free bodybuilding. Classic bodybuilding was invented because people either couldn't or wouldn't look like that. So that's why classic bodybuilding exists. That gap doesn't exist in drug-free bodybuilding, so we don't need classic physique. Yeah. Where that gap exists, we need criteria to fit into those gaps. And there are, there are a lot of ways in which bikini classes vary from sanctioning body to sanctioning body. 
you know, in, in some sanctioned bodies, they, they encourage you to pose like a teapot with your hand pointing up in the air or that silly sort of hybrid side stance where it looks like you're a galloping horse and wear your hair all your way down to your backside and, you know, so they're making it obvious that they're only looking at your bottom. And that, that's, that's just not how our criteria goes. But that's getting slightly off, off tack. So, no, to answer, to answer Jack's question, um, no. We won't be uh, making bikini a division where extreme muscularity and conditioning is rewarded because there are other divisions where they are and we can't blur the lines between the two of them. I don't think the question should be, are we going to do it? The question more appropriately should be, are other people going to stop doing it? Okay. If you're in every single athlete right from the lowest level of muscularity in your shows to be in extreme condition then um then you're playing a dangerous game aren't you because we all know what it takes to get into that level of conditioning yeah. with females more so than men and if you're telling every single athlete in the show that they have to be bone out shredded to uh, to be rewarded on stage then you're playing russian roulette with people's bodies there and i don't agree with it agreed and i think the point you covered on classic physique like people have asked me as well whether we do classic physique and I get a lot of clients applying for coaching and saying, I want to do classic physique in a, you know, natural federation. That's what I want to do or junior classic physique. And I'm like, well, to be honest, if you've got a classic physique, well, half the time, these people that think they have classic physiques don't, don't have classic physiques. And then on top of that, if you have legitimately got a classic physique, i.e., small joints and a, an amazing bone structure, then you're going to make a fucking great natural bodybuilder because you're going to have great shape. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, you are. You, you absolutely are. Or, or, or a great physique competitor. Yeah. Um, let's say classic physique was invented to bridge the gap between, you know, physique and freaky mass monsters that look like come from another planet. And when, when we don't live in a world where we have any of those, we don't need classic physique. Again, I've had a, I had a conversation with um, some really high-ranking officials within the, the IFBB uh, last year because I'm, I'm friends with a couple of them. You know, we, we can all be friends. It's not a problem. Uh, and I was talking to, to somebody who was very high up in the IFBB about this very point. Instead of inventing classic physique, why didn't we just address the criteria in bodybuilding and bodybuilding and anchor it back in? Yeah. If it was going too far... Why didn't we recognise that and anchor it back in? There should be no need for classic physique or classic bodybuilding, or because they're they're two separate classes in themselves in some of the uh, the other the other associations. Yeah. And I won't refer to the IFBB as a non-tested organisation because I know they test and I've seen them do so. Um, but in, in the IFBB specifically, you have classic physique and classic bodybuilding, and men's physique and muscular men's physique for bigger physique competitors. Then you've got bodybuilding as well. And, and the conversation I had around the table uh, over a drink with, uh, with my friend was too many classes. Just, uh, you know, trim the bushes a little bit and, you know, keep it, keep it a little bit more simple. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So we've had a, a few people, multiple questions, ask about tattoos. Mm -hmm. So what's your opinions on tattoos? Do they take away from the physique? Are they distracting? What's your, what's your opinion? Uh, I love tattoos. I've got 17. Um, End of question. <laughs> yeah. But 
having said that, um, you know, yes, you, you can see tattoos that, that obscure the physique, massive tattoos, especially dark ones, you know, sort of black and greys and stuff like that. Um, if they're not particularly lighter black and greys and there's more black than grey, you're going to cover large sections of the body. Um, I helped uh, Rich Walker uh, with uh, a show last year. I went to Boston with him uh, for a show there. And we got some tattoo cover-ups. He's got a couple of big tattoos on his back that, that sort of stop you seeing a lot of his back detail uh, in the double bicep shot from the rear. And we used to use a tanning product a few years ago that completely covered it. It was like a dream tan type of product, but it completely covered your tattoos, whereas dream tan doesn't. Uh, and it was banned at this show, so we used a sort of spray-on dry tan to glaze over the top of, and we used some tattoo cover-up over, over his tattoos. Um, on that occasion, it actually looked worse. It, you know, it, it covered up his tattoos, but then he had these two discernible patches of sort of makeup on his back. Wow. Um, you know, so it, it's a shame because the, the 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 stuff that we found that he was using to cover up his tattoos with before was brilliant. But you know, as with most things, you know, Dream Tan and its derivatives are, are banned now from shows. Uh, you know, another example of bodybuilders being their own worst enemies. It was it's, it's brilliant stuff, but people have to sit all over upholstered furniture wearing it and making a mess of it and then wondering why we banned it. Um, so, yeah, tattoos can be a problem. Everybody's got tattoos now. Well, not everybody, but a lot of people have got tattoos. They're a huge part of British culture. They always have been. Always have been a huge part of British culture. If you look back to traditional tattooing, you know, it goes back hundreds of years, but people are having bigger and bolder tattoos now. And we are used to seeing it on the judging panels and we are used to seeing tattoos on the physique. But the, yeah, the simple fact of the matter is if you've got a huge back piece that's in, you know, dark colors, then yeah, it's going to, it's going to obscure you. Mm. I've got a big piece that goes, you know, from sort of like my left, my right elbow, pretty much all the way up to my neck. And it's got a lot of dark black in it. And, you know, if, if, if I were to be in shape and hit a pose on that side, it would cover up some detail. So they can, but, you know, if, if you like tattoos and you want to express yourself through body art, then certainly don't refrain from doing so just because it might cost you a place in a bodybuilding contest. This is just a hobby. Okay. Good answer. I like that for sure. Um, so we've had quite a few questions that have kind of already been answered in a way. Um, so I think, you know, like, um, it's been the questions asked about symmetry, like you asking them, people asking you to define symmetry and you've kind of suggested that we're not looking at symmetry. We're looking at balance because one of the questions was actually can lead define symmetry. Are we looking for left to right, upper to lower X frame front to back? And you've kind of answered that question already. Haven't you really? Yeah. I mean, to summarize symmetry is side to side. That's the dictionary definition of symmetry. Top to bottom and front to back is balance. X frame is shape. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Um, Dan, Dan Crumpton, who did the lightweights at the heart of England. I remember Dan, great physique. Nice lad. Yeah. He, um, he asks, does a competitor's hair impact male bodybuilding? Um, for example, ponytails, long beards, bright hair, that kind of thing. Um, I, I've been known to rib a few people about man buns, <laughs> haven't I, AJ? Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> but uh, no, um, similar similar to ladies, uh, if your hair is covering a part of your body, I will invite you. If I'm emceeing a show or head judging a show, I'll invite you to move your hair. Um, some people don't take me up on that offer and leave it where it is, ladies and men, and then they'll be marked down when well, they don't get marked down. But it's impossible for us to give them credit for having a good body part if it's covered. Mm. Um, you know, tie your hair up, get it up, get it off your back, get it off your traps, especially if you're a bodybuilder or fit body competitor um, for the females. Beards, again, I have one. I like them. I had one before they were cool, and I will continue to have one long after they're considered cool, even if they still are, I don't know. Um, you had a, I think you had a client in our shows last year, did the Heart of England, George. and then he hit the topics at the finals. Uh, oh, maybe not George. Oh, Emilios. Emilios Vaz. Emilios was his name. Really tall guy, very muscular, very hard. Enormous beard, which uh, was, God only knows how he grew one so young. Um, I couldn't Jealous. grow one until I was about 40. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, long hair man bun the whole thing and he hit the top six at the finals Uh, and I think he did very well as well you know he he placed about as high as he he could have done I think he was fifth was he was that right yeah yeah and he lost about he lost about 50 pounds in about 16 weeks to do that (laughs) you could tell he'd lost a lot of weight he looked like he'd come from being a heavy guy yeah Uh, but Rather, I'd rather people lose fifty pounds in sixteen weeks than diet for two years to get there. To be honest, so yeah, fair play yeah. to him. It worked. But no, in terms of beards, beards and hair, uh, no, um, because in fitting with my personal ethos that we touched on earlier, bodybuilding is judged and should always be judged from the neck down. Okay, cool. Question about social media presence from Jack Jones, who's a guy that hasn't competed yet, but he'll be good when he does compete. Um, he asked, can, judge, can judging be swayed by social media presence and would being well-known give any benefit? Not on my watch. Um, again, bodybuilding should be judged by the neck down. I've already told the story about how I didn't even see one of my own friends in the lineup because I wasn't looking for his face. Uh, social media presence is sadly um, all smoke and mirrors. It's a figment of most people's imaginations. It's like Alex McKenna, who edits the Beef magazine, gave me a, a, a great little uh, metaphor. It's like writing your name in the condensation on a bus window. By the time you get to the next bus stop, it's gone. Uh, and nobody remembers it. Um, I don't care if somebody's got... I mean, I I don't even know how many followers you have to have to consider yourself as having a good following on social media. Uh, I'm happy for people that do. I'm happy for people that are using that as a tool to to make their living from. It's fantastic. But I don't care if you've got five followers or a million followers. You get on that stage and you get rewarded. I mean, we've had, like we had a discussion earlier, AJ, you know, there have been people who've been really outspoken against me, my principles, my association on the internet. They've said some untrue and very nasty things about me in the past. They've taken out a membership to our shows. They've come to our shows and they've been treated professionally. They've been treated fairly and they've got, and they've got, and they've been rewarded with what they've been deservedly uh, rewarded with. Mm. And no media presence makes no difference to me. Awesome. So next question is from 
Adam, Adam Powell, who obviously won the finals last year in juniors. Yeah, came to New York with us. Yes, yes. So he asked, given that there are only two back poses, do we still give equal weights to the front poses? So when you're looking at someone front to back, even though they're only posing twice from the back, do we still judge evenly from front to back as a result of that? I think so, because there are also poses from the side as well, and nobody ever really mentions those, do they? Yeah, shows the one from the back. No, the fucking not. Um, you know, it's. Uh, I, I mean, again, I, I had you know, again, throwing it back to a situation I had years ago. We had two physiques on stage. One was top heavy. One was bottom heavy. The top heavy guy won. Everybody went crazy. Said the guy with the good legs should have won. And Dougie, Dougie said to me, "Listen, Lee, you know the guy with the great legs has beaten beaten the other guy with his quads, hamstrings, and calves. That's three muscle groups. You know the the guy with a good upper body, he's got a good chest, he's got good shoulders, he's got a good back, he's got good biceps, good triceps, good abs. It's more muscle groups. It's more of the physique. It's a majority thing. You know that's why we go for the guy who was top heavy over the guy who was bottom heavy. Um, that was the, that was a one off situation. That's not going to be a hard and fast rule." Same with, the back, same with the back shots. Um, if people are evenly matched from the front and the side, then the back shots should carry a lot of weight. Um, they, they, they could be the deciding factor. I've seen people so evenly matched that I've waited till they both hit their most muscular, the final pose, you know, before I thought, you know, made a decision as to which physique is the best of the two. Um, you know, if your back's not quite as strong as your front, but your front is way stronger than everybody else's, then yeah, it's it's about balance. It really is about balance. I don't think there's any one pose or one any one angle on a physique that that should sway over any other. But you know, it's like when when Dorian won uh, one of his Olympias. I think it was '97 when people debated that he may not, you know, shouldn't have won it because NASA was better. But you know, NASA. NASA looked better than Dorian from the front in the double bicep shot, but then, you know, side on Dorian had the side chest and the side tricep from the rear. Dorian was stronger. It was a balancing, but the side came in there as well. It's not just about the front and back. Okay, cool. Next question is again from Dan, another one. So he asks about individual posing routines. Uh, do these get judged at all? Because he says he's hearing mixed reviews about whether they do or or do not? I'm really, really, really pleased that somebody's asked this question because I've got a very strong belief about it that actually sparked a huge argument and saw me leave the MPA committee mm. uh, in about 2007-2008. Um, in amateur contests, it's clearly laid out in our criteria that the free posing routines are not judged. It's clearly laid out because there's nothing about them in there. It just says you can pose for one minute. Um, in, in our amateur contests, they're about entertainment. They're about, you know, they're, they're, they're about expressing yourself and showing your physique off to the people that have paid for a ticket to come watch you. Uh, under WMBF professional rules, the posing, the free posing routines are judged for the pros. Um, again, you know, don't want to rock the boat. You know, they're the rules that I choose to go by. That's who I sanction my shows through. However, I don't believe that free posing routines should be judged because, and again, this is you know, a rhetorical question for you. 
what what do you what do you judge them on? What what do you judge? Do you judge who does the actual best posing routine? Well, it's not a dancing contest, is it? You know, do you judge whose music you like the best? Well, you know, it's not top of the pops. Um, how can you judge somebody's physique in a posing routine? Because remember, right back to the beginning, same, you know, with this podcast and the points I've put out, same as any other aspect of my life, I build a foundation and I stay with it. You can only be judged against the other people you stand on stage with. And if you're on your own, you can't be judged. Yeah. You know, if the best two physiques in a lineup are, you know, there's a 15 person lineup at the, you know, say w, WMBF Worlds, pro men's weight class, you normally get between 10 and 15 people in each weight division. Um, there were 16 in the lightweights last year in New York. What if number one and number 16 were the top two guys in that class? And you're trying to separate them on the free posing round. You know, you've got two guys that are going to come on stage 20 minutes apart from each other. How can you compare those two physiques? There are people who will say, well, you just can. Well, you just can't. And, that, and that's that, I'm afraid. Um, you, know, well, you, you know, well, you just can is not an answer to any question. It's not a structured answer. I don't think that you can accurately judge a physique in a posing routine. Um, and, and I don't agree that they should be judged. But for the, the vast majority of our listeners that compete with us as amateurs, they're not. So it's uh, it's all good. Okay, cool. Yeah, I like that answer. Um, rear double bicep and rear lat spread. Someone asks, I don't know what their name is because they've got a weird Instagram account name. Um, but what's their in, what's their Instagram account name? NJ UFC fan. So he's a fan of UFC. Okay. Well, hi, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> so he asks, when you hit a rear lat spread or a rear double, should you flex your hamstring up and down to show hamstring condition, or do you just place the leg down? Um, because even I've seen in some feds uh, when they've been judging, like heavily judging, like a pro class, they'll do the um, like the the, the hamstring flex pose where you like stand on one leg and you flex your hamstring but should you should you be doing that in an amateur contest to show off hamstring condition um that's the question was the question should you actually be curling the leg up and moving the leg and showing yeah, the that that, it, that is the basis of the question yeah that's how basic it is yeah okay right um, with the rear double bicep and the rear lat spread poses, I don't like that twisting hamstring pose, by the way. It's it's silly and, you know, <laughs> falling about all over the place trying to do it. It's not gymnastics, it's bodybuilding. Um, with any rear pose, and I do coach posing and teach posing as well, So and, and I won more, more trophies for best posing awards than I did for winning shows when I did compete. So I, I know my stuff on this level. Um, with any pose, front, back, or side, you start from the bottom, you work your way up. You set your feet where your feet need to be set. You get your lower body in place, get it locked up, and then hit your upper body pose. That, that's, that's how I always teach it to be done. So, you know, get that, get that calf spiked, get that foot back, get the hamstring tight, get the glute tight, hit the double bicep shot properly, you know, the way that it best shows off your physique and hold it there. If you're if you're messing about for too long getting into the pose, then you know we we as a judging panel cannot expect people who've hit that pose to hold it for longer just because we're waiting for somebody else to get into the pose. 
uh, and you might have been at one or two of our contests where people haven't even finished hitting a pose before I've moved them on to the next one because they've taken so long to get into it. Yeah, uh, I'm not afraid to do so because it's not about one person on that stage. It's about everybody. Um, and, and if everybody's set the pose, they've hit the pose, we're looking at it, we can't wait for somebody else to be messing about getting into it. So get everything, you know, show everything off, yeah. Show the hamstring, show the calf. It's about the whole body top to bottom. You know, the side chest is called the side chest pose, but we're not just looking at the chest. You know, the abdominals and thighs is called that pose. Anybody who's only looking at the abdominals and thighs in that pose is, is, is an amateur. There, you know, there are other things to be looking for in those poses. So get them, get them hit, get them set, get them down solid as quick as you can, um, but do focus on showing off every muscle in the body with every pose. Cool. Okay. So another question. Like I said, we had quite a few good ones. So They are good this week. They are some good questions. They are really good. They are really yeah. good. Um, so uh, basically uh, I've forgotten the name of the person that asked it, but this is one is one of the ones I remembered off the top of my head. So they were asking, asking for a friend. Uh, what's that? You're asking for a friend, are you? I'm asking for a friend. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a serious question. I'll try and find it. But basically what I did is I, I screenshotted them all rather than going on some Instagram and being in and sure. DMS. I, um, uh, I screenshotted. So it's somewhere. Um, but basically, the question was, um, so there's particular people like, for example, Andrew um, Chappelle, who will hit certain poses in like a classical fashion. So like the front relaxed pose where he has a slight twist of hips and like almost tilts away from the judges. What's your opinion on that style of, of posing? Like, not just Andrew himself, because we don't want to sound like we're not talking just about Andrew, but talking about like people who hit classical poses, which might be a bit varied on the traditional pose, um, but come away maybe from exactly what we want to see within that pose. Like just, yeah, um, you give your thoughts on that. Andrew was a great example because he was actually penalised at the Worlds for doing it. Yeah, that's what I thought happened, yeah. got about half a dozen warnings from the judges for doing it uh, because the criteria is clearly laid out that both your hips should be level and facing forwards. Yeah. Um, I get it with a lot of guys, uh, physique guys in particular, that want to twist their hips to make their waist look narrow and stuff. And I straighten them up because it's, it clearly says in the criteria, hips level and facing forwards. Um, it's... Um, I like a classic slant on traditional poses, but when it comes to the relaxed round, you notice I said the relaxed round, I hate it being called the symmetry round because you're not just looking for symmetry in that round. Um, when you're doing the round where you're looking at people in relaxed poses, you need to be as close to a basic anatomical stance as possible. It needs to be a level playing field where everybody's hitting those poses together. When you break out into your, your your compulsory poses, your mandatories, where you're hitting a you know you're hitting a muscular pose, if somebody wants to tilt a little bit when they're hitting a double bicep shot, that's fine by me. If somebody wants to put you know their you know their 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 heel a bit further back on one of their side poses, you know that again that's fine. That's not a problem. Um, there are some of the divisions and some of the side poses where it specifies the leg closest to the judges has to be the one where you lift the heel up 
which is why I don't like the whole galloping horse thing because people are bending their back leg and not their front leg and it doesn't fit the rules. Um, but in short, you know, if an abdominal pose says, you know, both hands over your head, I mean, I talk about when I, when I used to compete, I used to tilt, um, you know, when I hit a double bicep shot, I'd tilt to hit the double bicep shot. Um, I did that for a very specific reason because it helped me hide something I didn't want the judges to see and it worked very well. Um, when I used to hit an abdominals and thigh shot, um, I would turn. I would turn and sort of show my left, you know, sort of be angled more to my left side than I would be to my right side. Again, for a very specific reason, because I've, you know, got a, a bit of an indent on my right side where I had myself opened up and had something removed when I was younger and I didn't want people to see it. Um, so, yeah, a, a twist on, on, on your muscular poses, I'm all for, but when you're hitting your quarter turns, they need to be, they need to be straight on, straight side, straight back. Perfect. Great. Good answer. Um, final question we'll do, and then we'll wrap up, because I think this okay. will be total almost, almost, almost two hours-ish. So, uh, well, we're all, we're all on lockdown. We've got nothing better to do. Exactly, exactly. So, and this is <laughs> this is quality shit. So, um, Paul Paul Roberts asks. You might know Paul Roberts. I remember Paul really well. I he came for he came for feedback with me when he was uh, competing with the NBA fifteen years ago, and and I told him if he managed to nail his condition, he'd be unbeatable. He's a lovely lad, uh, and he used to compete. I don't know if he ever told you this, but. He used to compete at some deal about 110 kilos, and he was really, really big and bulky. He had an incredible physique, but not incredibly lean. Mm. Uh, and I said, you know, you, you'll murder these guys if you get sharp. And I know he, um, with the greatest respect, he hasn't tested himself at the highest level of competition. But I think if he did, there'd be a lot of people uh, wishing he hadn't bothered. Great physique, lovely guy. Yeah, yeah, I've I've followed him for a long, long time, and he's yeah, nice he's got guy, fantastic physique, um, and a home gym as well. Yeah, yeah, he has got a home gym. Always got... trained at home, so he'll be the envy of everybody at the moment, won't he? Yeah, he's he's got some some good amount of kit, basic training. Um, so he asks, how much do tanning issues affect judging? I.e., if you're too dark. You have light streaking or running of the tan. How much does this affect the judging? Brilliant question. Very good question. And the answer is probably going to surprise a few people. Um, I would rather judge a competitor with no tan than a competitor with a patchy or streaky tan. Um, wow. You can be too dark as much as you can be too pale. Uh, you can be too dark. Um, I remember judging a contest many years ago. There was a young lad in the juniors, and I can remember exactly who he is, but I won't say his name because he was always a shy kind of lad, and I don't want him. I don't want him getting embarrassed by me mentioning him. About eight or nine lads in a class, and he walked on stage, you know, swimming trunks on and no tan whatsoever. You know, kind of kind of guy who probably hadn't hadn't thought about, you know, didn't know posing trunks or tan existed, kind of thing. Sure. And he walked. Up on stage and he was obviously the best bodybuilder in that lineup he was obviously wow. the best bodybuilder in that lineup uh, with no tan and with swimming trunks on he won that show the second he stepped on stage um in between the mandatory posing rounds of the comparisons and stuff and before he came back on for his posing routine somebody backstage said bloody hell you've got no tan on here have some of this and splattered him with dream tan they'd done it in two minutes flat 
and he came back on stage for his posing routine with some colour on, but actually looked worse. Oh. Because it hadn't been applied properly. It looked like he'd just been rolled in mud. Uh, he won anyway. He was always going to win. Brilliant bodybuilder. Great physique. I think he went on to win a version of a world title as junior. Um, really nice guy. But, yeah, that was, that was an example of that. Um, tanning, like I say, tanning's important. But you can be too dark. Um, it's one of the reasons why we have always... And I don't want to sort of cross the bridge into sort of a political discussion, but it's one of the reasons why we as an association have always been relatively moderate with our stage lighting. Because you don't need to be pitch black in terms of your skin colour to look good under reasonable, normal, decent stage lighting. If you throw in every light bulb in the city at a stage and you know, you've got no choice but to paint yourself mahogany brown to look any good. And some people don't, some people don't want to, particularly people who are naturally dark as well, you know, black people, Asian people, you know, they don't want to put tan on top of their skin. They've already got a skin tone, you know, do they need any more colour on top or, or whatever else? So if you stay with moderate stage lighting that's good enough to highlight people's details, then you, you don't need to be as dark to uh to to show up under the stage lighting um some people don't take well to tanning products i never did i'm kind of like a pale blue color you know it takes me a week of sunbathing before i'm even white and and if i put on you know back in the days i was using pro tan jan tan and that kind of thing everything kind of went green on me everything was nasty my skin just didn't take to it um, so for me, you know, Dream Tan and, and its derivative products were, were a godsend for me, but people just made a mess with them and threw them around all over the place. And, you know, I, I know one show that I promoted, I got hit with a £500 cleaning bill for the venue afterwards because people were sitting around on chairs in Dream Tan and washing their hands in the sink, leaving tan around the sink and not cleaning the sink when they finished. You know, just basic courtesy things. Yeah. So, you know, dream tan's not an option for a lot of people. Um, and, you know, tanning, tanning is difficult. That's why we provide the options that we do at our shows, you know, with spray tanning, because you could pretty much get it on the skin, get on stage and get off again before anything has a chance to go wrong with it. And it's being applied by a professional as well. But um, so it does make a difference. But it's it, like I say, it's not always the case that people don't have enough on. You can have too much on. Um, it's way more important that your tan's evenly applied and it's not patchy and streaky, in my mind. Um, cool. cool. Perfect. Awesome. All right. That, and, that's, uh, and, and hello to Paul. Um, hello, Paul. Thanks I, for the question, Paul. I, I, I hope him and the family are well because he is a really lovely bloke and I haven't seen him for a long, long time. Yeah, I've had some, um, I've had some really nice discussions with him on, on Instagram back and forth and He's uh, yeah, he's always always really informative. With if I ask him anything or we have a chat, it'll be a it'll be a big back backwards and forwards chat. So yeah, he's a great guy. Um, all right, so I think we'll leave it there, mate. Okay, yeah, it's been a lot of fun again. Thank you very much for having me on. Um, I did uh, I did kind of allude. I've got to be honest. I, I like I say I've been watching a few more podcasts than normal since I started doing these. 
And I did watch a couple this week that uh, included topics that made my blood boil a little bit. And I did kind of allude to that in the uh, in, in, in the recording we just made. So if anybody wants the full scoop on what pissed me off this week, send me a direct message on Facebook or, or an email, and I'll, I'll tell you if I'm still in a bad mood by the time I receive it. But uh, otherwise, mate, thanks very much for having me on. And, and, and in all seriousness, if anybody wants me to clarify anything I've said during this podcast in terms of an answer to a question they didn't quite get or whatever, fire it at me. There's not a lot else going on. I'm still working full time at the moment, but I'm not promoting bodybuilding shows and I'm not traveling up and down the country at the minute. So I've got a little bit more time than normal. Uh, I'm happy to clarify things, especially from a judging criteria point of view, because you know it's, it's important we're all on the same page with that. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I look forward to speaking to you again, mate. Pleasure, mate. It's always it's always lovely to have a chat. Um, I just I just sit back and listen, and uh, there's been a lot of uh, compliments as to the fact that uh, this podcast is good because I let the guests speak, and yeah. uh, and <laughs> and I said I said to the to the guy that, uh, that said the question or said the, the feedback, I said it's not. It's not particularly hard when you've got uh, Leah's, uh, Leah's the test. Is that because I've got something worth hearing or is it because I just talk so much nobody gets a chance? No, mate, it's def- definitely the first. <laughs> definitely the first. Um, and yeah, thank, thanks guys for, for tuning in as always. Really appreciate the listens and the shares and things like that. Um, hopefully the audio in my end was perfect this time. I'm sure it has been. Um, Very good. Absolute shit, shit storm. First few ones. And next week we should be back with a guest. Um, and then hopefully for as long as this lockdown period lasts, we can sort of knock these out back and forth with guests each week and when Lee's free um, and just give you guys some, some cool stuff, stuff to listen to. All right, cool. So we'll speak soon. And thanks again. Cheers guys. Good night. <laughs>